In this episode, we're talking about Wicked Little Letters, a black comedy based on a true story starring Olivia Colman, Jesse Buckley and Anja Navarsen, among other great actors. I'm joined by the cast as well as the film's director, Thea Sharrick, and the historical consultant, Emily Cochane. Here's Olivia. The script was so beautiful, it was quite obvious to me how to play her. It sounds awful, and we might get people going, oh, I thought you played it really badly, but um, you didn't do it, so fuck off. (laughs) um... Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm going to get that gun of mine, and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone want to just tell me to my face you're never going to give me the scores I deserve? Hi, I'm Anna Smith and welcome to Girls on Film. This week we're going back to the 1920s for a case of mysterious, anonymous and very sweary letters circulating in an English seaside town. Dear Edith, you foxy-ass old whore. Carry on. You really are a tricksy old fucker. And you're a sad, stinky bitch. In the end, I think it's just jealousy. The comedy Wicked Little Letters is in cinemas from February the 23rd and it's based on a true story. It follows two neighbours, conservative local Edith Swan, played by Olivia Coleman. Love thy neighbour and I tried, but... I'll get you in the balls, sir! She's heinous. And rowdy Irish migrant Rose Gooding, played by Jessie Buckley. Edith, I didn't do it. When Edith and fellow residents begin to receive the letters, foul-mouthed Rose is charged with the crime. I believe you may be charging an innocent. Angela Varson plays police officer Gladys Moss. A woman police officer? Oh, look, flying pig. <laughs> who suspects that Rose may not be the culprit after all. You want fucking in the nose holes, you old beetle. Beetle? Right. <laughs> Wicked Little Letters is directed by Thea Sharrick and written by Johnny Sweet. I have three brilliant interviews about the film to share with you today, including with Olivia Coleman and Jesse Buckley at the end of the show. First up, I sat down with director Thea Sharrick and star Angela Varson. Very excited to have you on. Love the film. So entertaining. And also, I feel like there's a lot of feminist spirit to this film. I want to start with the inspiration of the true story. Perhaps, Thea, if you'd like to say what appealed to you about telling this story in particular. I think the key thing is to know that when I first read the script, I didn't know it was based on a true story. So I was genuinely laughing out loud and entertained by these characters and this kind of crazily ludicrous episode. Then to discover that it was based on a true story and that the key characters are real, were real, I just I couldn't quite believe it. I mean, it's so... Ludicrous is the best word I can find to describe it because it's it's genuinely hard to believe, right? Then on the other hand, once you we fleshed it out, you start to believe that actually there's so much to these characters that's incredibly recognisable and incredibly real. And, you know, there are elements that we recognise in lots of different people that we know. So that's what drew me to it, is the complexity of these characters telling what is actually a very simple, if ludicrous, story. And I felt also that there were some really important themes that are laced within the whole story that doesn't 
It never hits you over the head with them. They're quite lightly drawn. So they're there if you want to see them. If they resonate with you, that's absolutely fine. Lots of people, they don't resonate, and that's also absolutely fine because the comedy aspect is completely accessible. And if you just come away thinking, I've just had a great laugh, that's fabulous. And if other people, I mean, I've had other people come up to me in tears because for one reason or another, something very profound has really struck them about a particular character's journey. And they found the moving bits, the trigger for them. And that's amazing. That's a real gift. Yeah, it really is one of those films. It is what you make of it yourself. And yeah, there's so many personal aspects. I laughed and felt moved. So there you go. The whole, the whole works. Um, I want to get into those themes a little bit later as well. But Angela, talk to me about your character. Because she, again, a real amazing yeah. policewoman that did incredible work, pretty ahead of her time in some ways. Yeah, well, she was because she was the first woman police officer in Sussex. And at that time, you know, in the 1920s, the idea of women in the workforce and in positions of authority or public-facing positions was just very new. And so there's tension about Gladys sort of entering the workforce in that capacity. So, you know, she comes in with all her idealism and ambition and wants to do the right job and thinks that by doing all the right things, everything will be fine. And then sure enough, she realizes, okay, well, I'm surrounded by men. I'm surrounded by inept men. And the rules don't seem to apply. You know, there's a lot of double standards. And um, I think she realizes she has to sort of follow her own instinct and intellect to kind of, well, solve the case. If you meddle in my case, these will be on your wrists. In prison, Rose may find some kindred spirits. In prison? No, no, not the murderers or the rapists. I'm thinking more the drunks and the queers, maybe. Just trying to find a bright side. And what kind of inspiration did you draw from? Did you look into the real-life character? Yeah, I mean, I found as much information as I could about the character and specifically about the time, you know, what Little Hampton might have been like at that time period, what, you know, Britain was like at that time period. But also, Johnny's script is so well-researched. Like, it's all there. The story is all there. So, you know, I did my own homework but that was kind of in the back of my mind. The The script was like the Bible, so to speak, for me. And I think he drew everything out with so much history, but he also imbued it with his own wonderful imagination. So I kind of went to the script first, really, for like the truth of the story. All the way through, I was saying, I cannot believe this is real. And I hadn't heard about it because it is so inherently comic. And you've got some of, including Angela, some of the best people you could possibly have in this film to tell that story. What was the starting point for you in terms of who you wanted to be embody these characters, particularly the women? Well, I was lucky enough that Olivia was already on board when I read it, which completely set the standard. Jessie was then also a very quick thought to have, given their relationship with each other, the fact that we already worked together, and also how different they are in terms of energetically almost. They just felt so right for both parts. You know, Olivia can play that seemingly buttoned up, somebody who's there's, there's so much more hidden that you want to find out more about and Jesse has a different has a quality of being so open and so easy to um to feel that she's almost telling your story and that's one of the lovely reactions that we've had with particularly younger women so women in their 20s 30s mm. who just feel like on some level Rose is them and they mm. really connect with her um the characters are just so well formed, I think, that honestly it was a real joy casting this because 
as soon as we sent it out to people, they responded so brilliantly. And when I sat down, Ange and I met for the first time, I knew immediately that what she was responding to, both in Gladys and the script as a whole and the storytelling as a whole, was exactly what I had. And that's what you want. You want to tell a story together. So it was... It sounds awful in a way saying it because it makes it sound like the whole... Th- you know, making movies is really... It's really hard. It's really complicated. But when you have a cast who come on board so easily... It just makes everything so much easier. Angela, talk to me a little bit more about the character and her journey as a woman in this film because there's times where she seems very much alone, you know, working with these sexist men, basically. But I feel like her heart is to try and help other women. She's interested, I think, in sort of first impressing... I remember I talked to you, Theo, about, like, her uniform and her hat just being ever so slightly too big because it's the first time they've put this uniform on a woman. So she's kind of trying to fit into something. And I think she's trying probably a little too hard to fit into this place. Um, And then I think she soon realises that it's hard to do her job, you know, not just because of the microaggressions and the sexism, which is a very relatable thing. It doesn't matter who you are, you've experienced that on some level, you know, being spoken over and being ignored. But then what I loved is Gladys sort of finding finding her voice, not just through her own strength, but through the other women in the story. The sense of community and female friendship, I think, is what gives her her strength. You busy? I'm just boiling an egg. Right, come on then. What? No, I said yes. I'm busy. I'm boiling an egg. Hurry up! We've had an idea. Yes. You don't still think Rose is guilty, do you? Were you at the trial? Coming over to mine then. Now. We'll be boiling eggs. Ooh. I'm not standing for it. I should think not. Come on, then. Rose is about to go down for something she didn't do. Now, I have a plan. No, sorry. Fuck you, no. I won't listen to another word till my egg. Can you really not wait? You're such an energetic person, usually. That's the fucking eggs! Mm, Worth its weight in gold. Appreciated. Apologies. Where were we? As I was saying... I have a plan. She really comes into her own, you know, outside of the patriarchy, outside of the uniform. That's when you go, oh, who is this person? You know, she's not really who I thought she was when you first see her in the movie. And I think that was just like a lovely journey to go on. And she's also one of the people, you know, in the beginning to also judge Rose. You know, she assumes, well, the appearance fits the crime. You know, she's uh, rowdy and a bit loud and a bit too much, you know, and probably she's done this. And the wonderful quality about Gladys is that she's open to changing and having her opinion changed. Gladys is questioning things and she's naturally curious. And I think that allows her to evolve in the story. Very modern, Gladys. Ahead of her time. I mean, literally, that's how you would hope women of her age now Mm -hmm. to be. And do you feel because she was treated patronisingly by men that Mm. made her better able to understand that someone might be being overlooked or misjudged yeah I think so I think she realises that oh hold on a second I'm doing what they're doing as well I'm judging her and then actually she has a point you know and I think she stops calling herself woman police officer because Rose goes why are you doing that you're just a police officer aren't you I know you're a woman so you know she she kind of starts to think about the kind of um, microaggressions that she's absorbed herself. and Unconscious bias. Yeah, unconscious bias that she's kind of taken on as well. So I feel like her openness is what allows her to really 
change and let other people in and then she really finds her own strength and intellect and instinct and hones it. And it's, I mean, without spoilers for those who haven't seen the film, but it's true that she did basically crack the case. There is a gold, there is a gold, it should be gold. There is a blue plaque. <laughs> oh, is there? Where's yeah. the blue plaque? In Littlehampton. Oh. For Gladys Moss. Amazing. If I ever go, I will seek it out. Seek it out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you were talking, Theo, about the themes of the film that are woven through, and I'd love to know a bit more from you on that, specifically in terms of gender and representation. Well, I think you've already spoken, Angela's spoken about what it is to be a woman in a man's world, which is a phrase we all know so well. What's interesting is Gladys, if you like, represents that within the working place. Mm -hmm. Whereas Edith and Rose, it's not about their work. It's about what society expects of a woman. And Edith has taken on certain norms. And we discover through finding out more and more about her family why that might be the case, why she behaves the way she does, why she... She still lives at home with her parents and she's clearly been brought up in a certain way. Rose, on the other hand, has left home, already has a child. We know that the man she's with, he's not the father of the child. So all of these very quick assumptions, we we all make judgments quickly. So the two of them couldn't be more different. So again, what I love is the triangle between the three different women they represent or they put the spotlight, if you like, on society in slightly different ways and show up what we think is the most important thing when one is judging another person. And the wicked little letters at the source of this are, I think it's fair to say, written by a woman to another woman. But it feels to me like the source of that is a patriarchal society and this situation wouldn't exist without these women being oppressed in some way. I think without wanting to give away too much... When you read the letters or you hear the letters being read out loud, which is the joy of the film, it's very hard not to laugh, right? It's it's very hard not to laugh on the surface of what those words sound like. They're very funny. When you stop and step away from the film for a minute and you imagine the type of person who needs to write those letters and what kind of a voice that is, that's where the real investigation of the film begins. You daft old fucking slippery old fucking dodger. Why would I send a letter when I can just say it? I'd probably say that you look like fucking Queen Victoria shoved a fucking nettle up or a fucking pussy. I don't know. You stink of coming shit and the cakes you make look like this born out some fucking shit, fucking arsehole. Better. <laughs> I have a plan. Will you catch them in the act? What would your husband think? My husband isn't alive, Ray, so he's not thinking a great deal. (laughs) I like you, Rose. I hate her! You don't like the idea of me leaving this house, do you? I'm going to lose her. We're not standing for it. I've had one now. Everyone is going to know. What do you think it has to say about our society now and social media and trolling? It feels weirdly comparable, doesn't it? It does. Um, I find it quite uncomfortable in many ways. I think for me it's really interesting to see how much the world has changed, right? So 100 years ago, if you wanted to insult one person, you had to put pen to paper and send that letter to somebody. And in that first instance of them reading it, that's two people who've read those words. Nowadays... Anybody can say anything they like about anyone they like. 
and that can become a public thing. Immediately, you can put it into a public mm. sphere. You can still write a letter to somebody. That letter can then be photographed and immediately put out there and stops being a private thing and becomes a public thing immediately. For me, we as a society are on the verge of really losing something really important by that advancement. And I think particularly for younger generations, we have to be really, really careful um, because the whole premise of this story is that they're poison pen letters. We laugh at them, but actually they're really painful things. It's bad enough when one person's written it to one person. That can be really hurtful. To share that, to create that sense of pain on a public platform is horrific. And I really don't go by it at all. Well, I hope that maybe it is quite thought-provoking for people watching this and, you know, making that connection in their heads. Much as this has seeped in its time, it does feel very relevant now. Be careful what you post, as it says on the poster. Literally, (laughs) yeah. Um, Talk to me about the shoot, Angela. What were the joys of the shoot? I've heard that it was great fun. It was. I feel very lucky because my character really got to meet everyone, you know, in trying to sort of figure out what was going on. She just Gladys went around sort of meeting everybody. And that meant every day I got to turn up and see a masterclass in acting, whether it was from Olivia Colman or Timothy Spall or, you know, Dame Eileen Atkins. It was fantastic. It was just a joy. It was a joy to be in the presence of these women, especially. We had a good laugh making it, but, you know, also we worked very hard on it. And I think Thea runs the kind of set that feels, you know, both very organised but also very open and very collaborative. So everyone feels very hurt. And I feel like that's why... Heard, not hurt. Heard. <laughs> Good. Glad you clarified There's that. No trolling on. I, <laughs> that's for sure. I want you to be heard um, and not hurt. And I just felt it was like a real family camaraderie kind of vibe. And I think you ran a very calm set, and it just felt very supportive and nice. One thing that's I think important to say is that the boys were telling as yeah. much of a woman's yes. story as the girls. It was. It never felt like it was us and them in any way. And they were fantastic in their want to be part of what the bigger story of the film is. I'm very glad you pointed that out because we value our allies and we're all part of telling these stories and it's hugely important. Absolutely. And just because some of them play, you know, total idiots doesn't mean they're complete idiots. They're just good actors, right? They're just really good (laughs) And good men. They're good good men. Well, I'm looking forward to our listeners all watching this film. Thank you both so much for joining me. Total pleasure. Thank you. That was director Thea Sharrock and star Anjana Varson. Next, I spoke to historian and author Emily Cockaine. Emily, welcome to Girls on Film. Thank you for having me on. Very pleased to have you on. Loved the film. Really enjoying talking to everyone involved. For the listeners, can you tell them what your involvement is? I was involved in two ways. So one is that I had originally written about the story. I wrote about it for my second book, which was Cheek by Jowl, A History of Neighbours. And when I came across this case, I thought I have to have Western Road as one of my case studies. And I wrote it into a chapter for that book. And then that was picked up when Johnny was thinking about writing the story, uh, followed that up. So then I was involved quite early on at that stage and then became the historical advisor as well. So I worked with Johnny to um, make the script more historically pertinent, that sort of thing. I mean, everyone I'm speaking to and everyone that sees this film is astonished that it happened and in some ways feels quite contemporary. 
I mean, the essence of the film is that the situation occurs because of neighbouring, because people are so living close proximity that they see each other, they get involved with each other's lives. And so it's a story based in a neighbourhood, a small neighbourhood where people are watching each other all the time. And, and therefore there are clashing personalities. So Rose clashes with Edith. And the specific house arrangement is a little different in reality to how it is in the film. Inevitably, you can't have these things exactly the same. So Rose would have entered her house down an alleyway past Edith's family's house that was essentially in the garden area of Edith's family house. But the Gooding house is a bit bigger than the uh, Swan house. And I think there might have been some jealousies about even that sort of thing. This close proximity sets up this issue that these two people develop because they have a clashing personality. The ages of Rose and Edith are very similar. They're about a year apart. So they have a direct sort of sense of being very different people because Edith is at home with her parents, sleeping in her parents' room. That part of the story is true. She's kept there to look after her brothers and her parents, whereas Rose is wild, free-spirited. She lives in a house, I mean, this doesn't come across in the film, but she lives in a house full of children. There are two of her children and there are also three of her sister's children. Rose is living with Belle, her husband, but also Ruth, her sister, in a strange family setup, And that would have triggered... Edith's interest in them and people would have been gossiping about an odd relationship an odd setup so were they suggesting it was some sort of something going on between her sister and her husband as well like a threesome sort of thing yeah 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 there, there were suggestions all the time that that Ruth and Bill were close and Ruth has three children she's unmarried and Ruth is the one that puts herself out as being the war widow so that part of the story is distilled and becomes all part of Rose so in this close proximity, this funny relationship, obsessive relationship in some ways. So Edith gets obsessed with Rose and wants to be her friend, but doesn't quite know how to be her friend. It is a fascinating setup, and it's very interesting to look at them, particularly as women in that time. Could you speak a little bit to how their gender may have affected the stresses and strains on them both, really, in that time? Oh, wow. Yes, in so many ways. Some of the ways we probably wouldn't fully appreciate now. So stresses and strains. Well, Rose is having to have lots of little annoying jobs. She's coming and going, doing cleaning jobs and things like that. We have quite a lot of Rose's handwriting because we know she was writing to employers here and there. So that comes into the story too. We know what Rose's writing is like. But she's living a little bit of a chaotic uh, lifestyle. Five children in the house. Her, uh, then Edith's going to be um, restricted in different ways. As I said, she's living with her parents and that's an expectation at the time that she would stay and look after the parents and the brothers. But she's also had several different jobs as well. So she has been working during the war as a decorator. And she also had a really strange job. She was a servant to a very old family in a nearby village as well. And there are lots of unknowns about that family. It all sounds so intriguing, peeling back the layers of communities like this. I mean, all social historians are quite nosy. And so a lot of the interest for me was pouring through the home office accounts that survived. Now, not many of the letters survived. A lot of them got lost when they were sent between the Office of Public Prosecutions and solicitors, etc. So 
when I was writing the book about poison pen letters, that was the disappointment. A lot of them have, were burned at the time, were destroyed at the time, or weren't saved, and particularly ones written by women, because it was sort of seen as an odd thing women were doing at the time that should be really stamped down. And so we don't have very many other letters from this case, but those we do, they do have the exact language used in the film. And it's really odd, very strange writing. Even though it uses the swear words and the obscenities from the time, they're mangled in a completely odd, localised way. And there's quite a lot of repeated statements. So things like, you bloody fucking flaming piss country whore comes up quite a lot. And it's like, doesn't really make any sense. If you look at the language of it, nobody really says things in that order. It sounds like somebody trying out a language, trying to disguise obscenities. Um, within the context of letters that were written, when women write letters like that, the press, the local police get really excited. They get slightly frisky about it. Oh, women writing bad things. Pay attention to this. There are so many men writing obscene letters at the time that nobody pays attention to. They just go, ah, boys, boys. That's the sort of thing they do. Once the women start writing letters like this, suddenly newspapers fascinated, local police fascinated. The Home Secretary, Mr Edward Short, was compelled to answer a question in Parliament about the ever-growing scandal of the Little Hampton letters. The poison pen missives, obscene and malicious in equal measure, are causing widespread distress across the county. Now numbering over 100, Mr Short called them a national embarrassment but said he has immeasurable faith in his exemplary police force to find the culprit in the end. The mystery of the letters continues to captivate the nation in which every household has an opinion on whether Miss Rose Gooding is innocent or guilty. I was also interested because I, I dabble in graphology in the use of handwriting analysis. Um, was that something that was perhaps more commonly used in, in cases like this when there were very little else to go on? Well, you would think so. But actually, when there was an obvious female suspect, the police were not interested in getting a handwriting expert. The local police aren't. When the director of public prosecution gets involved, they're more interested in that sort of thing. And they're pushing. Can we have it tested? Can we have handwriting tested? But until then, the police aren't even really thinking about that. They're not really going there because they think, no, we've got an obvious female suspect. It's when men write letters that they test their handwriting. Wow. Yeah. In a lot of the cases that I look at from the 1910s and 1920s, if there's an obvious female suspect, they're not interested in proving it, paying for expertise, that sort of thing. So they, they think that they can judge women because they're using all their prejudice and none of their sleuthing. Yeah, she looks like the type of person that would do it. Yeah, and the film does demonstrate that. And um, just to finish up, I want to talk about the wonderful female police officer that we have in the film who is based on a real police officer correct? Yeah, oh my word, the Gladys Moss characterisation in this film is spot on. It's absolutely perfect. And Jana Vassan does the best, the best job playing uh, Worthing's first female police officer who had already had a difficult time by the time she landed this particular job. The local male police officers had tried to get rid of her the year before because they said, you know, we don't need female police officers anymore. They're not really doing anything. And it was an influential deputation of local women that said, we quite like to have some uh, one or two female police officers and so at the time, female police officers came from a higher class than the male officers they're working with. They're cleverer. 
they're more highly educated, but they get the worst jobs. They get the sort of, uh, I mean, old story, isn't it? And they get ignored. Uh, so they couldn't marry. Female police officers couldn't marry until the mid 20th century. And she cracked the case. She absolutely cracked the case. She gave on the ground, she gave what they needed in order to caution um, caution the writer <laughs> of the letters. So she was the one that um, she hid in a florist. She observed everything. She found the notes. She put things together. And, oh, she had such a great career. She was a really fantastic police officer. She gets a motorbike in 1924 and uh, she has it until 1938. So she's zipping around the local area on her motorbike. Now, mostly police would have got those as a standard issue. She had to buy her own. So you have all of this, you know, playing through her life. She remained single. She retired in 1941 and then she died in Worthing, age 80, in 1964. So, I mean, she sometimes writes to the local papers about what her life was like as a police officer. And you get the impression that she was quite a character. Go, Gladys. I love it. And this film is a real testament to her, actually. And, you know, that pioneering spirit that she had, really. I like to think she would watch it and enjoy it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think she comes out as the hero here. Well, thank you so much, Emily. Is there anything else on the gender side that you wanted to add about this incredible true story? I mean, I think we have to just put it in the context of the suffragette movement and women getting more say in society and men being quite upset about that. So trying to put them in their place and throw all the legal heft that they have at them to stop them doing the things that men just did as standard. So I think that was what came across quite startlingly when I was writing the book about poison pen letters. Well, thank you so much for sharing your stories with us today. Absolutely fascinating, Emily, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining Girls on Film. That was Emily Cochane. Finally, I caught up with the wonderful Olivia Coleman and Jesse Buckley. Girls on, on film. film, that's what we are. Girls on film. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Love that. Beautiful. Oh, Thank you. That is a great start to the interview. Well, welcome to Girls on Film. Hi, thank you very much. We've been going for five and a half years. I can't believe we haven't had either of you on before. Had lots of your colleagues on. We've discussed your film, so really Who's happy. Who's had on so far? Who's your favourite? Um, <laughs> well, we had Maggie Gyllenhaal, of course. Hey, oh, amazing. She's our yes, yeah, yeah. But um, Emma Thompson, of course. Oh, oh my yeah, God. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and now it's complete. We have you two. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and just really really enjoyed Wicked Little Letters. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you I was much. in a room full of women howling with laughter. Oh, yeah. Howling with laughter. Oh, nice. um, what brought you both together on this project? We love each other. We do love each other. <laughs> I think it's important to enjoy your day at work yeah. and I couldn't have had a nicer time. Yeah. It had to be you. It had to be Jesse. Because we fell in love at a music festival years ago and then did... Uh, Lost daughter, yeah. Secret child, no. Lost daughter, couldn't think of that. <laughs> and, um, and but then, we never worked together in Lost Daughter. Yeah. And then, what music festival did you meet at? Latitude, wasn't it? Was, oh, that's a good one. Yeah, I don't was know. it or one? It was some. It was a good one. Yeah. <laughs> we can't <laughs> remember the festival. Yeah, that's the sign of a good festival. We can't remember it. Feels late. Yeah. I'd love to know more about the research you did into the real characters of Rose and Edith because you're phenomenal on screen together in these very, very different roles, which is very entertaining. But let's start with you, Olivia. What did you find out about the real Edith and how did you sort of find her as a character? Well, I'm not a massive research girl. Okay, got um, it. Because, uh, you know, Johnny had written it and Johnny had done all the work and it was all there. And uh, she's a real person. He's written it. He's, he's done the research and 
the script was so beautiful, it was quite obvious to me how to play her. I mean, it sounds awful, and we might get people going, oh, I thought you played it really badly, but um, you didn't do it, so fuck off. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, it was, there wasn't too much nuance to it, you know, I, I don't think. Yeah. Um, you know, under the rule of her father, still in her late 40s, and oppressed, and I think needed a release. And you know, that's, that's pretty much all it was. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. 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 Um, well, she's just like pure life. So mm-hmm. I think I didn't, it wasn't, I don't know, sometimes those research can feel like homework. So it didn't mean like I wanted to do, there was not, it was all in the script. And for me, it was just making sure she was like as full as life yeah. as possible. And she's got a lot of joy in her, even though she's kind of hemmed in by cultural repression in some way. Yeah. Rose? What timing? I've thought and prayed about what I'd say to you the first time I saw you. Oh well. No hard feelings. It's good to get away. I forgive you, Rose. Edith, I didn't do it. Who's that? Ah, that's me. Sorry. I thought this was more of a private situation. But also, I didn't want to leave in case of problems, so I held position. The father and I have been discussing a sermon I might give at St Catherine's. We're all positively fizzing with the idea. And I had a passage I wanted to read to you, too. That's what I meant by good timing. Twist of fate. No, thank you. No, thank you. It's very short, quite energising. We don't want me any more energised. Not unless you want a good bannocking. A physical threat. It's like a trapdoor to hell opens up everywhere you tread. I'm not actually evil, you know. No, but you've got evil in you. No, no, it's not your fault. You were born with it, but... I like you, Rose, and, and I'd like to bring you to the light. For Nancy's sake. I just want to know. Rose is the most impressive woman in the whole film, isn't she? Because she is the, one of the only ones, apart from... They're all impressive. I yeah. love them all. But the, like... the, the fact that you absolutely don't... I am not going to be taken no. down. I will not be. And I think she does that more for her daughter Stanford. than for yeah. herself. Yeah. Yeah. She feels ahead of her time in a way because she, as you say, she doesn't really care what people think. She just lives her life the way she wants. Totally. And very yeah, free spirited. Yeah. I think she, in, I think she does care. Like I think with Edith, I think she's quite lonely in that role in her life. And actually, they really liked to. I think they'd be great friends. I think they probably... Yeah. And there's a lot of things... You know, even the polar opposites of you, you find a kind of kindredness or you... Yeah. I, there's so many women in my life. I go, I, I see you, you know. I know whatever is, like, pulling your thread. Like, I get it. Mm. And So I don't think she was just, like, careless or without no. care. I think she cared oh, a lot. She's but full actually, of love she and passion was, and care. Her emotion yeah. was bigger than caring. And what she wanted for her life and for her daughter's life was bigger than making herself smaller for that. And she was not going to compromise that. Mm. And she'd come so far on her own as a single mother that um, 
And she was having a great time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when they're walking on the beach, they're, they're, you see their friendship and where yeah. they go. Yeah, I love those scenes. I thought that was yeah. really touching. Um, we love seeing female friendship depicted on film beautifully. Yeah. And I think it's really lovely done. As you say, these two quite polar opposites. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. In terms of filming the scenes together, what were the joys of them? Because you have so many great scenes, whether whether you're you know spitting fire at each other or bonding. Um, any particular favourites or moments that you really loved? I did love the outdoor lav. The, the lab. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, that Don't was know. really. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> um, you running at me from the post box at near the end. At near the end, that was fun. Oi! Hey! <laughs> Some kind of tog kind of yeah. coming. Um, and then Thea, our director, would be at the kind of, she would watch like super close, but as we were sparring with each other, she'd be like, yes! Yes! yes. yes. Totally. I can still see Thea, I can see her. Yes. <laughs> What's Thea like as a director? How would you describe her style? I think the, the greatest measure of uh, is the entire crew would have done anything oh, for her. So totally. you don't, that's not the case every time, you know? Yeah. She's a great leader and... Uh, fun and light. Fun. So light, but super intelligent. And yeah. She knows how to keep everyone buoyant and to make everyone feel like everything you're doing is all great. And I think she had a great time making it, you I know? I like, so, yeah. You see... Well, she did. She, yeah. she was getting to play and be create this thing yeah. and she's brilliant yeah she, I love her there's so much entertainment in this film as you say and it's really nice to know that it was a joy to make as well in terms of the comedy the contrast in your characters is inherently funny that sort of prim when, when she's being forced to read rude words I just think that's that's very amusing yeah. I, I did really enjoy playing oh, really, the prim you're really good at doing the curse words I love that ah, thanks yeah I really I you know I mean I possibly over egged it I don't want anyone to go you know but I, the, the slight sort of shock on the face and the wide I, I did enjoy the comedy of that a little too much maybe <laughs> <laughs> no I think it's lovely that you enjoy it I, I felt think. like I was going back to my old you know the old sketch comedy days of uh, you've only got two minutes so you know send it up a bit I felt a bit like I was doing that again but really I just enjoyed it all I think some elements of this are quite feminist and I'd love to know what you both think yeah, yeah. of course it yeah. is yeah well, there's two women in the lead. Yes. Fucking ace. Yeah. A woman directing. Um, it's also about women's journey and... Friendship. Friendship. And if you keep a woman down, she's going to come out some way. Yeah. It's like Spanx. Yes. It's come out of the top. Yeah. <laughs> what an image. <laughs> we can all relate to that. Just get rid of the Spanx. <laughs> Let it all out. <laughs> You know, the fact that uh, earlier we mentioned this and someone goes, oh, I thought that was a joke and not real, but the police, female police officers um, weren't allowed to have uh, husbands or children if they were, because they, couldn't a woman handle. couldn't possibly handle, you know, that much. Crazy. Um, which is hilarious, but important to, to mention. And it's the female police officer who was kept down, who solved it all, that's true. And, you know, the woman who escaped, uh, it's only touched upon, you know, where she came from, Rose, and... Mm -hmm. She escaped that yeah. and is the strongest, most vibrant, most passionate woman, you know, in the street. And it, it is about women surviving, 
through misogyny and getting by and being strong for each other. And that is a feminist, you know. And I think thing. all the characters, like even like all the women in the town and yeah. Eileen Atkins' character and oh, God, Joanna yeah. Scott, like these women are, they have so much in them. And you can see why it caught the imagination and attention of this small town, mm. where kind of, I guess at the center of it was a, a woman who was being given a projected idea that you were to be a lady and you were to kind of exist only under this ceiling. And if you do anything more, you're going to disturb the status quo. And then this kind of tornado of a character who had no, who had already fucked that up. So she, <laughs> she just already came as a fallen woman, challenged people's perceptions of what that was. And yeah, and I and uh, Edith through her eyes, you know, when she first sees Rose, you can see her going. What is that? Yeah. That's electric. I want that. But I mustn't, I mustn't, I mustn't. I, she wants to be and the pressure, who this woman is. And I guess there's a part of a pressure, you know, Rose is, there's a pressure to sometimes just want to fit in, but you can't fit in if you've got so much inside you that is trying to get out. Mm-hmm. And when all the women start, like, coming out, I think Rose is like, oh, come on. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> especially when she starts cursing at the end, I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> There you are, I see you. It's about liberation, I suppose, and, and coming together and yeah, working together. And I was so interested to read about the real-life policewoman as well. It's fascinating. Yeah. What did yeah. you think the feminism was in the film? Yeah, I agree with all that. I think, you know, and I think also, as you were saying, in terms of Edith's character, you know, that she's been oppressed by men, you know, including yeah. her father, and underestimated. Yeah. Um, and then there's all this resentment building up inside her. Yeah. I like that while she was comedic, I also felt a great deal of sympathy for her Absolutely. in yeah, her yeah. life. Yeah. And talk to me about your case stars because what an amazing selection of people oh, in this I film yeah we were filming was it Aylesbury Arundel, Arundel the market Arundel, the Arundel, market square yeah. bit um being in that there's a you know, oh. green room and the sweet little coffee shop said you can stay in here and they made us a fresh cake every day so delicious being in that room with those people was oh so God. much fun so we didn't want to go to set they no. come in like Eileen Atkins would hold court and tell us all her incredible stories of her life and they'd come and say can you and we're like no no <laughs> I'll just for five minutes yeah. <laughs> and Timothy Spall and Malachi oh. and Angina like gorgeous it just makes so Scanlon I mean heaven heaven and they're all so brilliant and it's so fun and there's yeah. no hierarchy or like everybody's such a t- on a team and it makes coming to work fun and I got, easy. I just remembered though, uh, there was a guitar in the green room, in a different green room because why was there a guitar in the green room? Anyway, can't remember. <laughs> but I went, oh, oh, Jesse, I'll play, you sing. <laughs> that would be a nice way to pass the time. Um, when I say I play, I go, uh, see. Okay, wait, 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 deep. <laughs> okay, wait, 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 like that. And Jesse, like, ready? Go, stop, go, stop. <laughs> Jesse, sweet and eternally, you know, generous, would sort of say, well, I was sort of playing. And then. No, we did. You're, you're always putting yourself down about no, this. Genuinely. Darling, not I think you're going to have a wonderful good. career as a guitarist. <laughs> <laughs> I went off to set, came back, and heard this amazing music happening, and thought, oh, so someone's playing some. What's. Oh, and I looked in. <laughs> Angina had been present while I was trying to do my three chords. And I went, Angela, do you play? No, not really, she said. And I came back 
And it was like walking into yeah. the roundhouse suddenly. Angela <coughs> is an incredible guitarist. She's got an album. And singer. Like... got an album. Jessie's singing. And I said, I'm so embarrassed that I did that in front of everyone. <laughs> we all, were, we all were thinking that. We were like, she should be so embarrassed about <laughs> how uncreative <laughs> this woman is. I was like, how dare she? Actually, can we get her off, sir, please? <laughs> such a wonderful, vivid image of that now. I wish oh, I'd been. <laughs> and the fall from my massive, yeah. No. I've done really well. Here. We all just think if only we could be a bit more like you. We'd be yeah, okay. yeah. Most of it. it. Oh, <laughs> I'm sure most of our listeners think that's helpful. They should. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Any last words for the Girls on Film listeners? I'm sure who are big fans of yours. Thank you for listening. Women are ace. Women are ace. And to your men listeners too. Men are ace too. Men are ace too. Well, good men are. Great. Our allies, um, we call our them. Allies. There's many of them listening. Yes, Thank our you. feminist yes. male allies. Exactly. Fucking yeah. marvellous. And um, uh, we should keep talking about more equality. Absolutely. Um, never get, uh, never rest on your laurels about equal pay, equal representation, equal everything. Yeah. Fucking equal. The world will not be a happy, contented place until there is absolute equality across the genders, across everybody. Yeah. Amen to that. Thank you. Thank you both so much. <laughs> Lovely to have your girls Thank on film. You. Thanks Thank so you much. Thank you very much for having us. That was Olivia Coleman and Jessie Buckley. Wicked Little Letters is released in UK and Irish cinemas on the 23rd of February 2024. Girls on Film is an HLA production, brought to you by executive producer Hedda Archbold, producer Charlotte Matheson, audio editor Benjamin Cook, and myself, Anna Smith. Thank you to our partners for this episode, Studio Canal. Thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Hold up. 